At Seek Safely, it's our mission to empower seekers to have a safe and meaningful self-improvement journey. Why do we care? Seeking to be your best self is an amazing, beautiful human impulse that has led us to create art, invent technology, tell amazing stories, and reach the moon. But we saw the dark side of self-help in 2009 when a recklessly run self-improvement retreat led to the death of three people, including my sister, Kirby Brown. We want people to seek, to dream their big dreams and chase their beautiful goals. But we want to make sure they're safe along the way. This podcast is about education and empowerment and getting real about the promises and problems of self-help. We talk with people who understand and care about the self-help industry and everyone it touches. I'm Jean Brown. I'm Dr. Glenn Patrick Doyle. And And this this is is the the Seek Seek Safety Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Seek Safely podcast. Hi, Dr. Glenn. How's it going? Hello, Jean. It is uh, going well because I open podcasts like nobody's business. Cold opens are my business. (laughs) And this is an example of the perfect cold open. And the first time we're doing this tonight, this is definitely not the second take. No, you're crushing it. (laughs) Crushing it. We are crushing it, Jean. We are crushing it. What What are we talking about this week, man? All right. This is like a made for Dr. Glenn Patrick Doyle podcast, because tonight we are talking about the self-help industry and how it sells trauma to seekers. It sells trauma to to seekers. It it, it sells solutions to trauma, supposed solutions to trauma to seekers. There's, I mean, trust me, there's enough trauma that nobody needs to sell it. The world is giving it out for free. But the self-help industry has a long-standing tradition of offering solutions, remedies, treatments to trauma survivors. I was actually just thinking about this not terribly long ago because our old friend, James Arthur Ray, God forbid we have an episode where I don't bring up James Arthur Ray, (laughs) was promoting one of his events with the promise, no joke, with the language of process your trauma, process your past trauma. And it's part of this long tradition that the self-help world has of, of you know, yes, we are, we are going to heal your trauma. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a long tradition, but it also feels a bit like trauma is a bit of a buzzword in the last few years, both culturally and especially in the wellness and self-help industry. It seems like everybody is trying to talk about trauma these days and everybody talks about being quote unquote trauma informed, which is a real thing, whether or not the coach you see on Instagram is actually trauma informed when he or she says they are is another question. But yeah, a lot of people are talking about trauma. And one of the best examples of this is somebody who has had a lot of scrutiny in the last couple of years, and that is Teal Swan. We haven't done an episode talking directly about Teal Swan. And again, a lot of people have talked about her, but I will say some of the ways in which people have addressed Teal, you know, is is Teal Swan a cult? Is she a suicide catalyst? I'm actually kind of less interested in that. And I'm more interested in talking about some of the specifics about exactly what she's doing and what's going on and using her as an example to talk more broadly about how the self-help industry is talking about trauma. Sure. I I think that Teal, who, I mean, was on my radar screen well before I was even involved with Seek Safely. You know, I mean, anybody listening to our podcast probably knows that trauma is my is my clinical specialty. I mean, going back to uh, graduate school, both my master's thesis and my doctoral dissertation are on the subjects of complex trauma. And the first job I had out of graduate school as a psych, even before I was licensed as a therapist and then as a psychologist, was as the unit psychologist on a specialty trauma unit in in Washington in Washington D.C was working with complex uh, post-traumatic disorders and and complex dissociative disorders. And, you know, I went from there into uh, my private practice, you know, now uh, over 10 years, you know, I mean, dealing almost exclusively with complex trauma and, and, and complex dissociative disorders. So, I mean, 
Yeah, and also having been through trauma myself, working with abuse survivors, survivors of abuse and neglect, it's my jam. It, it, it is what I'm passionate about. And anybody who is who's listening to my voice now, because of, you know, you know me from online, you know that. Teal is a really interesting example of, of somebody who's in the self-help space who disproportionately draws a really specific population. Again, people who are interested in trauma trauma survivors. We don't really see this with like Tony Robbins. Like we don't really see this with James Arthur Ray. Although they might be trying to get into that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, James definitely is. Yeah. I I think Tony might be a little more savvy. Let's be honest. Like Tony actually doesn't have to appeal to anybody right now. Like, like they're like, he has enough customers. Like they, they come to him, but Teal specifically, like, like she has made trauma survivors, her, her niche. Mm-hmm. And and the way that she has done that is, you know, she has developed her own process, you know, for working specifically for working with with past trauma. She calls it the completion process, and she also talks about shadow work, which is this, you know, like different people mean different things when they say shadow work. Like a lot of people are familiar with kind of the the Carl Jung, you know, shadow self and and and, and shadow work, but that's that's been Teal's shtick. Mm-hmm. And she's enormous. Like the you know, the reason why it's it's important and interesting is because she's enormously popular. You know, like you and I were just talking about the the docu series, The Deep End, where you know one of the things that The Deep End shows is its conversation with her manager, or where he says, "Yeah, like we're we're right behind Tony Robbins in terms of yeah. millions of followers." So there's something about her messaging and and her personality that mm-hmm. really really resonates. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I see her, you know, in her, I see a few things in terms of her success. And also, in terms of just being a great example of something that we see a lot in the self help industry. She's a really good example of somebody who is very smart. She's very intelligent. She's very insightful. She seems to have like really good intuition about people. And she seems to be able to read people really well. She's probably somebody who maybe would have made a good, a good therapist had she, you know, received some formal training. And so, you know, I think again, like we see a lot of these types of people in the self-help industry where they just, they seem to get it. Like they seem to get people. And even if they don't have that professional training, they, they clearly have some talent and some ability in, in the sense of how they're able to connect with people. And I think that's a big part of their success. And I think the other thing that you would definitely have some thoughts on is that she's another, she's also a good example of what we see when the self-help industry is filling a very real gap in maybe more traditional or more formal mental health delivery services that are failing people and failing patients in various ways. She clearly sees people who, you know, have been kind of left out in the cold and she understands that there's a need and she's, she's really filling that need. You bet. So, so I have as, as, as a trauma specialist and I'm a psychologist and as somebody with with a bit of a uh, of a reputation and a following online, like nowhere near hers, I, I have a little bit of a complicated relationship with with Teal Swan. I agree with you in in that I think Teal is is enormously intelligent. I, th- I think it doesn't hurt that she's also just a, a, an enormously conventionally attractive person. Mm-hmm. I think she's got loads of charisma. You know, but you mentioned you mentioned something really important, and that's the fact that traditional mental health delivery systems are failing trauma survivors specifically. Mm-hmm. And anybody who follows my material knows that I have very strong feelings about this. i am I am so not a fan of the what I call the trauma industrial complex. <laughs> The mental health industrial complex, the complex generally. But no, man, in, in our culture, being a trauma survivor and, and trying to get effective, appropriate, you know, reasonably priced treatment is a it's a nightmare. Our culture reflexively blames victims. 
And you know, some people, you know, some people question when I say that. Some people question that. Some people say, "Well, come on, like I, I'm always seeing, you know, PTSD awareness day out there. You know, come on, like our, our culture is really, you know, really good to trauma survivors. No, it really, really isn't. When, when you're a trauma survivor and you realize or you suspect that it's the trauma that is that is ruining your life." And you try to find some support for that or some treatment for that. Almost everywhere you go, you're going to be met with an implicit attitude of, was it really trauma? Really? Was it? Do we, you know, we can't call everything trauma. This is what they say. You know, you trauma therapists want to make everything about trauma, but come on, like everything is not about trauma. And that's the baseline like in our culture in so many ways. Now, I used to do, uh, as part of my job back in Washington, D.C., I would get these evaluations. Like, so I was working with veterans who had been traumatized in the course of their service. And I would get these evaluations from, you know, they're, they're called medical boards, med boards. And I would get these evaluations where the, the person had been evaluated for, you know, whether essentially whether their trauma was bad enough mm to receive benefits. And it was very often the case that the evaluator would try and say like, well, Mm. what happened to them in their service really wasn't that bad. I mean, maybe it would happen to them before that, like childhood, like who knows, like we we can't be held responsible for Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. But the whole exercise was wrapped up in like, "Eh, is this really bad enough to be trying to avoid paying for it? Right. Huge of conflict course. of interest. Yeah. Of course. So anyway, yeah. the reason the reason why I mention any of this mm-hmm. is one of the reasons I believe people are drawn to Teal's community and, mm-hmm. and to her material is, you know, trauma survivors as a whole. And 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 I should say this: it's 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 really hard to make lots of generalizations about trauma survivors. There are a mm-hmm. lot like the variability in people who have survived trauma is is enormous. So I'm not trying to speak for all trauma survivors. I think the folks who are drawn to Teal, part of what motivates them is, man, this is a community where I never have to doubt that my experience is taken seriously as trauma. Right. There's like immediate acceptance. You bet. You bet. I never have to justify it. You know, I, I I never have to feel inferior because my trauma doesn't seem to be as bad as their trauma. So there's that piece to it. And I got to be honest, I don't hate that part. Right, right. I think that the community that's that sprung up around Teal, and, and mind you, like she, she incorporates a lot of kind of unconventional ideas in, in her approach. Like, you know, there's a lot of new agey stuff and it's not for everybody. So whatever you think of Teal and her teaching specifically, the community that has formed around Teal, mm-hmm. I think serves a real purpose. I think trauma survivors are often looking for for that sense of community where they don't have to apologize or justify mm-hmm. their, their experience. The I got to say though, there's so much conversation around Teal's messaging around suicide. Yeah, yeah. And you know, so much so that that I mean, whenever you have a conversation about Teal Swan, it, it's going to come up. Like trauma, trauma is going to come up. Suicide is going to come up. Yeah, the suicide catalyst thing, right? Suicide catalyst. <laughs> I recently did a thread on on Twitter.com. I don't know, Gene, if you know Twitter.com. It's a social <laughs> networking website. I may spend some time there from time to time. <laughs> from time to time. I log on to twitter.com and I do the tweets. So I wrote this I wrote this thread and and it was all about how we really we in the mental health industrial complex the trauma treatment industrial complex specifically have to uh, reevaluate our relationship with discussion of suicide. I can tell you that it is overwhelmingly common for tra- uh, survivors of complex trauma to have suicidal thoughts. Actually, not all that uncommon for just humans to have suicidal thoughts. But specifically, trauma survivors have thoughts of suicide all the time. I'm sure everybody listening to this probably knows where I'm going here. Try and 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 acknowledge that when you're working with a mental health professional and you're going to get a wide array of often very strong responses. Either we will avoid it like the plague 
because it creates liability problems. If, if, you know, suddenly if we're talking about suicide, then, you know, we have to spring into action and people want to talk about safety contracts, which are terrible, clinically, they're terrible ideas, safety contracts. Mm. Sorry, can you explain what a safety contract is? Oh, I will happily do that. So there was for a long time <laughs> in psychiatric treatment, there was this idea that if you were going to work with somebody who was suicidal, that they had and they had to make a a commitment to safety. And that took the form of a contract. That that took the form, I feel like we're talking about Nexium. <laughs> it took the form of a contract that while I'm in treatment with you, I will not attempt to end my life. And 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 hospitals had this. Like this wasn't just like individual therapists, like hospitals have that. Yeah, you got to sign a, a safety contract. And and some units even took it further. Like some units say like, yeah, you got to sign a like a, a safety contract to know if I won't self-harm. Anybody who's worked with trauma survivors knows that one of the biggest triggers for many trauma survivors is feeling coerced or trapped or cornered. And so you start shoving contracts at us. Wow, it's a great recipe for for one, triggering the bejesus out of out of many trauma survivors but two just inviting many survivors just to lie to you right so it's it's kind of a truism in in actual trauma informed practice that a safety contract all it does is is harm the the openness and the authenticity of a relationship of a therapy relationship because because what it communicates is you can't talk about that here right it's right too hot now what teal does and she's really proud about this. She talks about this a lot. Like she's really proud. She says, "No, we go right. We go there. Like we can talk about suicide. You can acknowledge that. I mean, hell, there's there's been much made about how she optimizes her search algorithms around suicide. Right. Like that's how that's how Jennings Brown, I think, found her. Actually, that 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 he was he was listening to the Mash song, the suicide right. is painless <laughs> song, and. Yeah, Jennings Brown is the one who did the the podcast series, The Gateway. Mm, yeah, such he a, talks such about, a good podcast. Yeah, it's such an excellent. I, I kind of enjoyed that more, even more than the docuseries, The Deep End. I did the the Deep End, the Teal Swan, the deep dive on Teal Swan in the last two days. So I'm all <laughs> like, <laughs> full of all this Teal Swan stuff. But yeah, so, no, it, so, it's so, just, so, yeah, just to ahead. wrap up, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, just to wrap up what I was saying that what Teal does in creating a, a community around open acknowledgement of of suicide now whatever you think of her messaging around suicide that's a different thing because she kind of wraps it up with some of these spiritual metaphysical concepts that go beyond right therapy. reincarnation and whatnot yeah you bet you bet and i and i like you kind of find the discussion of whether she is responsible for the deaths of certain of her followers kind of beside the point like mm -hmm. it's my experience as a therapist that it's really hard to kind of trace back well if you said this or if you didn't do this then this might not have happened it's 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 all but talk about a a something that trauma survivors really need like trauma survivors really need relationships in which we can be authentic and safe and and man she really hits that really hard and so there are things that around the teal swan phenomenon that on that honestly i don't hate either as a trauma therapist or as a trauma survivor mm -hmm. yeah no it's it's i think it's a fair you know assessment to say that look if somebody's successful we need to ask why right we can't just we can't just throw criticisms at them that doesn't help anything we need to understand what it is that they're doing that's resonating with people. And clearly a lot of what she's doing is resonating with people. And yeah, I mean, the whole suicide thing, I think for a lot of reasons, like you're saying, traditional forms of, of mental health help are, are very afraid of, of even touching suicide. It's like something that they, they don't want to touch the, the liability issue and all of that. And it's also potentially traumatic for them. You know, if you're, if you're a therapist, a psychologist, and and you've lost patients before, I mean, this is why therapists are meant to also see therapists themselves, right? Because the work can be very difficult, but yeah, it's a, it's just a very complicated issue. But the reality is that a lot of people who are dealing with suicidality, suicidal ideation and, and whatnot, they're not necessarily getting getting the good help that they need 
And yeah, Till seems to be filling that gap for people in part because she's not beholden to any professional regulatory body that's going to tell her how she needs to talk to these people, right? She's, she's going to go at it with whatever way seems to have worked for her in the past or wherever her intuition seems to be leading her. So yeah, she's, she's not kind of hamstrung by professional requirements. I tell you, it is one of the famous conflicts in, in mental health practice that this work necessarily imposes limits on on what you can do. Like, so I famously, like I, I joke with everybody that I wake up every morning mad at the once a week, 55 minute psychotherapy session. <laughs> I'm mad at it. I hate it. Like I, I want to do more. And honestly, clinically with trauma survivors, that's often appropriate to do more. You know, like when I take folks you know, who are just coming out of the inpatient psychiatric hospital, for example, it's not terribly unusual to do more than one session a week or to do maybe longer sessions. Really hard to do a meaningful chunk of trauma-focused work in 55 minutes. The flip side of that is the fact that this, this work, this professional work, imposes some limits that's not all, you know, those limits don't exist just to piss off Dr. Glenn Patrick Doyle. <laughs> they exist partially to establish what's called a, a therapy frame. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Shedler will be thrilled that I'm talking about the therapy frame. Somebody tell him. <laughs> he has me blocked. I can't tell him. And that's a joke for like four people. <laughs> the therapy frame is like all the rules around what a therapy relationship looks like all the boundaries mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right when you when you start going down the road of well i'm not a therapist so i'm not beholden to the therapy frame does it free you up in some ways mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. it frees you up to do you know what teal does you know and and you know offering these these immersive retreats in costa rica and and, and it frees you up to do wacky stuff like we're going to do man we're going to do you know, some of the work that she does, and I'm not an expert in what she does. Like I know what I know from the podcast and the and the documentary, but you know, like man, like like she'll do kind of this gestalt role play stuff where where, you know, yeah, we're gonna have people from the group, you know. I say role play, she would say actually inhabit channeling. the spirit of yes, embodying. Yeah. Yeah. Channeling. Yes. Can I do that as a psychologist? No, I can't. No. Yeah, it's, it's not best practice. And if something went haywire, I would get the bejesus suit out of me and I should because mm-hmm. I didn't learn that in graduate school. Yeah. Yeah. This brings us to another important point. I think that that Teal brings up and that we've also seen in other places like with Nexium. Nexium would do what they called the exploration of meaning. And that was kind of like when they bring people up the EMs when they bring people up and kind of do like this one-on-one like intensive therapy session with somebody often then also in front of the group. One of the things that I think is really interesting about these, and especially when we talk about going into people's trauma, they seem to bring people to this like breakthrough point almost immediately. And in the first time that they're even having this experience And Teal's process seems to do this as well. And I think that does a few things. One of the things that it does is it gives people a sense that the process is working, especially if they've done therapy before and like it might have taken them weeks and weeks or months or years to have a quote unquote breakthrough. And suddenly they do this process with Teal Swan or in Nexium or whatever and they have a breakthrough immediately, it kind of validates like, oh my God, this actually works, right? Or it might also be that they're not actually having a breakthrough, but they're having a moment, right? That feels very meaningful to them. And again, that's just taken as the sort of validation of the process itself. But like you're saying in in you know more traditional and regulated modalities, there are reasons that your therapist won't bring you to a breakthrough in your first session, right? <laughs> and that goes into what you're talking about with this therapy framework, right? 
So can you explain from your, you know, professional experience, why is it that you would not want to have your, your patient in their first session with you have some sort of huge breakthrough about their past trauma? So (laughs) interestingly, there's a, there's a long tradition of this idea that catharsis Mm -hmm. what, what Freud called catharsis, which is kind of that big breakthrough, aha moment there's a long tradition of that being the thing right in fact psychoanalysis kind of that that very traditional form of therapy where you're on the couch and the analyst is behind the couch and 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 interpreting your dreams and blah 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 it's kind of based on that this idea that that yeah you're going to have this this aha moment this breakthrough and then once the unconscious becomes conscious with this breakthrough you won't need these symptoms anymore as defenses against your anxiety because you've had your aha moment and the symptoms will just kind of disappear. Like that's the short version of, of kind of how psychoanalytic therapy works, supposedly. Trauma-informed therapy takes a different view specifically because one of the big, in fact, I'm going to say probably the most prevalent symptom of complex trauma is what we call emotional dysregulation. You know, trauma survivors tend to have enormous problems changing how we feel, you know, turning it up, turning it down, you know, regulating our feeling lives so that we can just go out in the world and 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 exist. In fact, most of the time, it's so dysregulated that we have to err on the side of of just shutting everything down. And like dissociation is a form of that. When you've been emotionally dysregulated for so long, and you've been living in a culture where trauma is minimized, denied, belittled. When you wind up in a community like Teal Swan has created, where it's 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 very validating, and where the you know the leaders are really encouraging you to dive deep very quickly, it can really engage our emotional dysregulation in in such a way that like we're going to feel flooded. And sometimes that doesn't feel like a bad thing. Sometimes that feels like, wow, I'm definitely feeling something after years of kind of shutting everything down and dissociated. I'm definitely feeling something. And because I'm around people who seem to get it and who seem to care about me, maybe this is the thing, right? The problem is, where do you go from there? Like we know that, like, so I write a lot about traumatic conditioning, Trauma conditions us in certain ways of thinking, feeling, believing, behaving. Post-traumatic conditioning doesn't go away in an aha moment. It just doesn't, right? Very rarely do we, you know, these, these patterns of thinking, feeling, believing, behaving that have been conditioned over years, very rarely do we have an aha moment and they're done because we're talking about actual neural pathways, actual physical pathways in our nervous system, right? So let's say you have this big aha moment. Well, what then? You still have your your conditioning, and that's still going to take the time it takes to to resolve. However, you've also had this experience of, well, now I'm flooded with my stuff because I've kicked open the door in this aha moment. It can really lead to some destabilization. And 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 for what it's worth, this isn't just a problem with with you know, either, you know, Teal Swan or or folks who focus on trauma, this is a problem with self-help generally. Like, again, our old friend James Arthur Ray has lots of experience with this, where, where he would get people in, in this really exposed kind of vulnerable environment and state, whether in a seminar or in a retreat, like Spiritual Warrior, and kind of force these aha moments, often force them through kind of, you know, sleep deprivation and diet control and... and and these kind of coercive ways. But then there would be no follow-up. Because he's a self-help guy. What are you going to do? You're not going to be in therapy with him, right? You're not going to be in therapy with Teal Swan. No, this has long been a, a big criticism that we have of, of the self-help industry and something that you know my parents identified being mental health professionals themselves. They said, okay, it's really interesting. You know, he brings people up on stage in front of an entire group, which is a very vulnerable position in and of itself, and then encourages them to share these really deep personal things. And then what happens after that? Like there's no follow-up for these people. 
And we know that, you know, at one of James Ray's events, three, three and a half months before Spiritual Warrior, there was a participant who, who took her own life at in the course of the event. And we don't know, we don't know what happened to her. It's a very sad story. Her family was completely blindsided. They didn't think that she was in a place where she would do something like that. Something happened at that event that caused her to do that. And, and then they put them out in this situation where they're, you know, playing homeless people in San Diego and she, she took her life there. And yeah, so that's something that we've always been concerned about. It's definitely not unique to Teal Swan in any way. It's pretty common in self-help. I think the thing about Teal Swan that's concerning is like you're saying, she's specifically attracting people with with histories of, of trauma. And so you really feel like, oh boy, that's that's a specific population that might be in a particular amount of danger in dealing with this kind of thing. Oh, you bet. You know, for, for listeners who uh, want to know the story that we're talking about with James Arthur Ray's client who uh, took her own life during one of his events, this is told really well in a book by a friend, friend of the pod, Connie Joy, and her book, Tragedy in Sedona. Maybe we can link to that. It's also detailed in the Guru podcast from, from Wondery Media. You know, something that, that's always struck me I mean, this might be slightly tangential to what we're talking about, but but something that's always struck me about that. So again, just the short version is James Arthur Ray had had put on this event called Creating Absolute Wealth, and and one of the one of the exercises was he he took everybody's ID and phone and and whatever away from them, had them essentially you know dress up as homeless people and wander around. Was it San Diego? Mm-hmm wander around San Diego for a few hours and and try and 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 survive like you know it's the whole thing and 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 again we don't know what the story is with you know the woman's name was Colleen who wound up apparently taking her own life there but here's what always struck me about that gene was that after that like if I was a psychologist I am a psychologist if I as a psychologist took a group therapy and 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 put everybody out on the streets of Chicago with with, with no ID no money and rags and 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 whatever and somebody did that somebody seemed to die by suicide mm-hmm. my board would be very interested in that mm-hmm. and they should be yeah because that's not a group therapy exercise right um there would probably be some consequences for me. James not being credentialed, not being, you know, licensed in, in in any way. There were not consequences for him. And as you say, just a few months later, three people are are dead and many people are wounded because James was allowed to 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 keep right to to run another event. Right. So yeah. th- so this is why when when Seek Safely I'll get on my soapbox here, when when Seek Safely advocates for legislation. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to limit anybody's access to anybody. You're really not. Like, like I want everyone to be able to go wherever they want to go to get whatever support they want. What we want is transparency and accountability, specifically when things go wrong. And we want there to be some sort of consequence. James Arthur Ray could have been stopped. James Arthur Ray could still be stopped. Mm-hmm. End of soapbox. Back to Tail Swan. <laughs> You know, so something I think is important to to talk about, you know, much is made of, of Teal's kind of backstory, you know, like like a, a big part of of her credibility, because as as we've touched upon, like, you know, she's not trained as as a therapist. You know, I mean, her she's kind of built her brand because she is like, again, she's enormously attractive. She's enormously charismatic. But a big chunk of her credibility comes from the fact that she is a, a trauma survivor. And I, a big part of my credibility comes from the fact that, that I'm a trauma survivor. Like, like a big part of, of the reason why my audience values my content is because I speak not just from my training, but also from lived experience. And that's Teal's whole thing, is that she has this lived experience of pretty extreme, you know, very specific kind of trauma. And there's an extent to which, you know, there, there are all these kind of gross conversations that I find them gross around well is, is she telling the truth 
And, you know, I mean, her story seems pretty out there. And like, it seems pretty unbelievable. Is she telling the truth? I find these conversations gross and a representation of like, this is what happens when you're a public trauma survivor. This is very often what happens, especially if you happen to be a woman. This is absolutely what happens. Um, there's all these questions raised. So, I mean, I think it's a it's a gross conversation about it. Like, is did this actually happen? My take on Teal, my, just my gut says that that she is a survivor and you know i i believe look i believe her when she said when she says i got into this business to to fill the gap that i wasn't getting filled like like she's very open about the fact that you know she got mental health treatment and it was not great and that's why she does what what she does and and to that extent again like that resonates with me like that's fantastic that's really great the struggle that we have is you know man when we are are kind of in this business and 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 we're speaking from our lived experience we're necessarily taking our our lived experience and turning it into something that that will help you know hopefully help somebody else but it's still our lived experience something that i've really had to come to terms with because i write for a, a reasonably large audience is like not everybody is going to recover like i recovered that i continue to recover not everybody's experience was like mine. It'd be really disrespectful and not great clinically for me to say, like, you have to recover the way I recover. You have to use the tools and skills I used. You have to use the philosophies I used. Something that I'm not thrilled with about Teal is she tends to frame her material and not necessarily just in terms of, well, this is what I did to recover. But she really leans into, well, I have kind of a metaphysical connection right like 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 i have i have you know psychic abilities i have you know like i'm i'm metaphysically i'm gifted in in such a way that like i know profound things about the world and that is just so in the tradition of james arthur ray who was claiming he was a shaman and 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 all all of these you know it's it's one of the big red flags that we always identify when we talk about the self-help industry too. She's also framing it all as like, I have the answer. Yeah. You know, this is the way, this is the way to do it. If you're feeling suicidal, this is the process. You need to do the completion process. This is what's going to heal you. This is what's going to work for you. And selling it as, as yeah, this is the answer. And again, I, I think like you're saying, she doesn't have recognized credentials so her credential becomes her story and her experience and then not having other tools to necessarily be able to give people then she's only offering them the thing that you know she says has has worked for her so you know one of the other things that really struck me with the sort of like lay person consumer perspective as i was particularly when i was listening to the gateway the podcast series I, I feel like a lot of self-help consumers, you know, especially when they're looking for self-help, self-improvement resources that are dealing with mental health issues. And like we said, sometimes they're turning to self-help for valid reasons because they haven't gotten good help from the the more established fields or they cannot access it for a variety of reasons. We're all bringing our sort of like pop psychology understanding of things. So like, for example, the the Gateway series talks about the idea of repressed memories. And I think a lot of people just take this as like a feel like, oh, yeah, that's like totally, totally a thing. We don't have a lot of understanding about what exactly that means. And one of the things that Jennings Brown brings up is that actually in the field of psychology, there's not there's not like consensus about what exactly repressed memories are, how you access them, what that means. There's some disagreement, there's some confusion, there's some kind of gap in in our knowledge or understanding about what that means. But you hear somebody like Teal Swan talking about how I'm going to help you access your repressed memories. And you're like, all right, cool. Yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> also, when she talks about shadow self and shadow work, that's also terminology that I like so many Instagram self-improvement influencers will talk about shadow work. And again, like that is a thing, but I think people's understanding of what that is, is very limited. So just the idea of somebody talking about it 
you go, okay, yeah, sure. Let's do that without really knowing what that's supposed to look like or what that's supposed to mean. To say that, <laughs> that there is not consensus in, in the mental health field about what recovered memory is all about is an understatement. Mm-hmm. Um, f- f- famously, it was framed like in, in trauma psychology, it's called the memory war. This kind of dovetails with another thing that many people are probably familiar with called the satanic panic. So as a trauma guy, I'm always going to err on the side of, you know, look, re- repressed memory is kind of a, is it's, it's kind of a misnomer. What it was actually called is dissociative amnesia, where again, like, like certain memories are not accessible to us sometimes for a really long time. And then they can be triggered. And it feels like we're recovering memory. That's what recover memory is all about. Like we feel like we're recovering something that was repressed. That totally happens. It's it's absolutely a thing. You know, it's it, it's kind of funny because clinicians on both sides of the memory wars. Because look, there are some clinicians who, like me, who think absolutely it's a it's totally a thing. There are clinicians like Elizabeth Loftus, who famously said it's 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 scientifically impossible. Right. What's funny is both sides of the memory wars think that the culture is against them. Like, so I'm really annoyed when you bring up recovered memory, dissociative amnesia, and you get somebody saying, that's been debunked. Hear that all the time. It's been debunked. First of all, no, it hasn't. But then you get folks on the other side of the memory war saying the exact opposite. You 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 trauma people think that everything is about repressed memory. Mm -hmm. No, we don't. Mm Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's actually a really good book written by a really well-known figure in the field who I used to know named Christine Courtois. She, she, she wrote a book titled Collections of Sexual Abuse, which was the worst title for a book in the history of the universe. Like, what is this book about? <laughs> Recollections of Sexual Abuse. It's not a memoir. It's, what it is, is, is it's all about this very thing. And it offers guidelines for clinicians to work with, with recovered memory, all of which comes back to, to, to Teal. Interestingly, you get a lot of people saying that that Teal had repressed memory. She actually says in the gateway she didn't. She actually says that that she that she did not like she was never unaware of of the things that that happened to her. And this gets into the entire conversation about Barbara Snow and whatever. Go listen to the gateway. It's 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 it's, it's fascinating. It's really great. The point is, sure, there's there's less scientific consensus than than we would prefer. Again, I are on the side of lots more people have lots more dissociative amnesia than than they know about, specifically because we don't really know how to work with it really all that well. But I mean, it's it's controversial enough within the mental health field that we need to have guidelines, like expert guidelines to work with recovered memory. I don't know what anybody's doing who doesn't have mental health training. And that's not to say that mental health training makes us omniscient or, or right, perfect, perfect at data. Yeah. Yeah. But goddamn, if, if you're in a position where you're just kind of treating it based on vibes, you know, that can be potentially really dangerous because why do, and, and I can go down a trauma rabbit hole here, but you know, why does dissociative amnesia happens? Well, it happens because whatever we're remembering is, is really overwhelming. You know, the kinds of memories that tend to get repressed, quote unquote, they tend to be terrifying and terrible. And once you kind of pop the top off of those in any kind of recovery work, it can it can lead to, to a, a potentially really dangerous situation. And, and this is, again, where we run into the thing of like, well, let's say something bad happens. What, what then? Like, who do you complain to? Who do you hold responsible? Hard questions, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, again, it gets to that idea of, you know, the kind of whole therapy framework and the trajectory of a traditional, you know, a course of traditional therapy where your therapist is going to, hopefully a good one, right, is going to try to give you some of the tools that you need to be able to handle those things before they're going to make you dive deep into those super, super traumatic things. Whereas, you know, it kind of appears like what somebody like Teal is doing is it's giving you trying to give you access to those ideas and those memories right off the bat where, you know, when you haven't necessarily developed the tools you need to be able to handle that acceptance, right? 
Yeah. So like, like the, the model that, that I use, and that is, that is well accepted kind of within the, the, the trauma treatment field for working with complex trauma. And it's important to note that, that most of the, when we talk about trauma survivors being drawn to tail, we're, we're, we're often talking about complex trauma. Like, so, it, so it's less kind of flashbulb 9-11 type trauma and more kind of long-term abuse, neglect, you know, these kinds of things. Working with complex trauma, and, and it matters because working with complex trauma tends to be different than working with flashbulb trauma. Flashbulb trauma, it's, it's usually what, you know, when we think of PTSD, we're thinking of these kinds of things, car accidents, terrorist attacks, these kinds of things tends to be responsive to interventions like exposure therapy, right? Complex trauma, not so much. You really don't want to take a survivor of child abuse and expose them to memories of their abuse. Like it's it's a recipe for destabilization and dissociation. Like it's, it's bad. So the model that we used was proposed by a, a really well-known researcher named Judith Lewis Herman, who wrote kind of the definitive work in the field that's called Trauma and Recovery. Everybody should read it. Please read Judy Herman. Read Judy Herman before you read Bessel van der Kolk, by the way, if if you choose to read Bessel van der Kolk at all. That's a whole different thing. She proposes a three-stage model. Stage one is all about safety and stabilization. You don't touch trauma memories. It's all about learning skills and tools and pacing. It's all about establishing support and safety within the therapeutic relationship. And why do we do that? It's because, look, the next phase, stage two, which is trauma processing, is really destabilizing. It's hard. It's, 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 if not done well, it can be very easily re-traumatizing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you need to spend that, that first stage, which is often, you know, people don't like to hear this, but it's often the first year, sometimes the first year or two of of trauma therapy you know learning how to how to cope i know people don't like that word we're just gonna cope i want to resolve <laughs> i don't want to cope, cope i want to thrive yeah oh god that's an instagram trope right <laughs> so there's stage one so there's there's safety and stabilization there's stage two which is trauma processing but guess what trauma processing is not where it ends mm -hmm. there's a stage three which is called life reintegration that's where you that addresses the now what question, right? So we've we've done a, a chunk of of trauma processing. We've developed the tools and skills to handle the trauma processing. Now, what do we do with it? What does life look like now? What what supports do I need? What changes do I need to make? You know, it's a comprehensive model of, of trauma treatment. You know, three stages that address these things. I think a lot of these things, and and, and I don't mean to. By the way, like I'm not an expert on what Teal Swan does. Like you and I, we we know what we saw on the deep end and we know what we heard on the gateway. What it was represented as was okay, we're gonna shave off that first stage because it takes a long time. And we're not gonna really bother ourselves with the, with the last day. That's that's on you. Figure it out. We're really interested in this trauma processing piece, though. And we're gonna get wacky with it. We're, we're, we're going to do, uh, you know, the, like these, these kind of extreme roles, but we're going to do these really intense meditations. And again, if I, as a therapist, did that and said, okay, we're just going to do, if I did a weekend retreat, we're going to do some trauma processing and you figure out the rest and bad things happened, again, they, they, it would, I would, I would appropriately get some pushback about that. There would appropriately be some consequences and I, and I wouldn't be able to fall back on like, who am I? I'm just a guy. I'm just a right. survivor. Like, right. Cool, you know, right. But again, for a consumer who knows that they need help with trauma, they might not be able to afford years of therapy. And so the idea of like, oh, this person's going to help me deal with my trauma right away. Like, yeah, that's, if I can like, just go to a seminar or go to an event and get that like in one weekend or in five days. Yeah. Let me, let me do that. Cause I can't afford to do therapy for years. It's, it's, it's tough because, and, and again, this kind of gallops into a different issue that we don't have time for, but it's tough because to be a licensed therapist is, is not a guarantee of competence. It's not a guarantee that the person is trauma-informed. God, I wish. I recently did another thread on the Twitter.com about how, look, no therapist thinks they're not trauma-informed. Mm -hmm. 
every therapist thinks they are at least every it's kind of like how everyone thinks they're a little better than average driver mm. <laughs> or everyone thinks that their sense of humor is eh, I'm a little funnier than most people everyone thinks that similarly every every therapist thinks I'm I'm at least a little more trauma informed than other therapists and it's just not the case survivors have been telling us this for for decades they've been saying man i've been going into therapists who say they're trauma informed and i've been getting re-traumatized because they don't know basic things so license is not a guarantee of of competence and i have so much sympathy for for survivors seeking recovery resources out there there's an, another big problem that i write about a lot the fact that there's a subset of therapists who really think that therapy is going to be the thing that that cures somebody and it's not in order to recover from from trauma we have to work a recovery 24 7 365 now therapy can be a tool that can make that easier and more possible but there really is a subset of therapists who are like yeah man this is it's it's me my work with this person is going to make the difference so I'm very sympathetic to survivors out there seeking therapy support and resources it is a freaking crapshoot out there and there are a lot of survivors who are who don't have time to waste and who don't have money to waste. So when you have someone like Teal, who speaks from a place of, of lived experience, and she speaks very evocatively and very eloquently, and she's an attractive person, and she's got this community around her, like that's social proof. I totally get why if you have the, the option of like, well, I can shell out for these therapy sessions and I don't know if my therapist is going to be any good and I don't know if they're actually trauma-informed. I don't know how long it's going to take. Or I can do a moonshot. Right. I can give Teal Swan a few grand, go to Costa Rica and take my chances. I get it, man. And I think it's also worth mentioning at this point too, something that Teal Swan is another great example of with self-help is gaming the algorithms the algorithms yes she (laughs) she acknowledges that this is what she does she says look when people are like really at their breaking point we specifically tag our content with the exact type of phrases that people are going to google so my own personal experience was that i was watching the deep end the docuseries and i was watching it i had to buy it on apple my apple tv app in order to watch it so i bought it on and i'm watching it on my computer and then like literally as i'm watching it i go i open my phone i open instagram and what is the first thing i see on instagram it's teal swan content (laughs) and i was like oh my god (laughs) this is how it works everybody And so, you know, I I posted this on our Instagram account, but so people who are in these moments, they're looking for resources, they're Googling things, they find Teal Swan's videos, right? And sometimes I think people will take that as some kind of cosmic intervention, like, oh my God, you know, the universe brought me to you. I was like in this moment of crisis and there you were. And it's like, no, it wasn't the universe. It was just the algorithm. <laughs> and, you know, that's something that all seekers, self-help consumers need to really be aware of this. Like this stuff is coming at us. Like sometimes, right, it feels like you didn't even say something out loud and your phone is suddenly showing you ads for something that you were like literally just thinking about. We've all had these experiences. And so it's important to know that these things really do happen even just as we're looking at self-help content. You bet. You bet. I remember when I first got into self-help when I was a teenager. And I like so I would go to the bookstore and I would wander around the self-help aisle. And I was really at the mercy of whatever caught my eye. Because there's, I mean, you can't check out every book in the section. So I was really I remember thinking that, hmm, you know, the self-help books that I've actually investigated, I mean, whatever their 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 content, I mean, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover. 
but really that's that was the 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 1993 1994 version of the algorithm was you know like i'm quite sure that my you know my my selection of like what titles i checked out and 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 what teachers i investigated was highly influenced by who had the just the right color palette on the spine yeah. of their book who had the <laughs> catchiest title right right and i even remember thinking at that time you know again i'm like you know, 15 16 years old I remember thinking this is a little bit of bullshit that's you know like I'm I'm already getting a selection bias here based on who has a cool cover I might be missing some great content fast forward now the 2023 version of that is who's got the flashiest insta you know who who can uh, make the coolest TikTok videos? The, look, the only reason why I'm not on TikTok is because it looks like so much work to create an awesome TikTok. <laughs> and by the way, I want to say thank you to everybody. Like if, if you search Dr. Glenn Patrick Doyle on TikTok, you will find people who have done awesome things with my words. Like they put them to music, <laughs> and 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 they're they're people doing dramatic readings of my quotes. And you you, you guys are amazing. But my point is that. You're right. Like, like we are constantly being, I don't know if herded is, is, is exactly the right, like, like, like the, the, the law of attraction is actually the algorithm in this case. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think, I think they, Jennings Brown makes this point in the, in the very beginning of the gateway as well. It used to be, again, the, the, the cult question is like, whatever, but a cult culty leader, or even just like a manipulative self-help provider person would have to like do a lot of work to get people to find them. Like they were actively having to kind of seek out their customers, their potential customers. And now it's kind of more like fishing. Like it's a lot, it's, it's a much more passive process where you just kind of like you can just toss these things out there. You're just tossing these keywords out there. And, you, you know, it's like the fishing boats that turn the light on and all the fish just swim to them. And then you just scoop them up in a net. Like it, it's much. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know lot, that was a thing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah that is a thing. You, you, I, I love that you just know things. <laughs> One of my favorite things about Gene. Uh, you know yeah, but it's it's a much more passive process now for not that it's not hard work, like you're saying, it's hard work, a lot of thought and kind of, you know, some like SEO research has to go into it, but it's easier for like a random kind of random person who gets good at, at marketing themselves to just catch a bunch of customers. So, so a conversation that's probably worth having with Christine Whalen when she comes back is the fact that there's a difference between conditioning your your audience to value your content generally and to take some sort of action like so i've had with with my own material like i've had marketing people approach me and and offer me suggestions it, it, god this just happened the other day in, in 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 dm i'm constantly getting these these dms to the tune of like man you have really catchy material. I can I can turn this into a customer funnel for you. And the criticism of me that is always offered up by these marketing pros is you have no call to action, right? Like that, like your posts don't end with so go to my website and buy my thing. And the reason for that is because I I, I have no thing to buy. I, I I make my my living as a therapist. I'm and I'm full. Like like there's no you know, there's there's no call to action because there's nothing to buy. Like I put stuff out there specifically again, like I, I always have in my mind 16-year-old Glenn who was depressed out of his skull and and wandering the self-help aisle at, at Barnes and Noble and needed to hear certain things. So my kind of mission statement with my social media, my unofficial mission statement is like putting stuff out in the world that people in recovery need to hear. Folks like like James is a very good example. I think my boy Tony Robbins is probably a good example of this. When they put something out into the world, it's almost never to the tune of here's something worth thinking about. It's always to the tune of like, well, here's something maybe worth thinking about. But if you really want the good stuff, 
Like if you really wanted to to go, you know, go into this and figure out what it means, well, you got to click this link and you got to pay this. You got to get this product and buy this service. And and there's there's a difference in approach there that I think consumers of self help really need to be aware of. And so I always recommend skip to the end first. Like skip to what the action, um, the, the call to action, as the marketers say, skip to the, what that is. Like 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 what potentially are they selling? Like it's 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 hard to look at, for example, my content and say, well, yeah, I mean, he's looking to make it. Because I mean, look, if you skip to the end, like what is the end? Maybe working with me in individual therapy. There's a waiting list. Like you can't. Right. It's just something to be aware of. It's something to 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 keep in mind. It's worth thinking about, Jane. Yeah, totally. No, I think that goes across the whole self help wellness world. All the wellness bros that are selling their the wellness bros bros. you you haven't talked about the wellness bros in a minute you love them yeah no it's it's you know when when you see the person (laughs) talking about the problem and then they're selling the solution to the problem that they just told you about yeah it's a bit of a red flag teal specifically I, i know we have to stop but 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 teal specifically has kind of this interesting business model because she uh not only does she do the retreats and stuff but, you know, we were talking about MLMs a, a few episodes ago. I mean, she also trains people in the completion process. And, and in fact, the if I recall correctly, the deep end is kind of centered around one of these trainings where she brings people out and she will certify them. And and then, you know, it's it's her brand, it's her thing. So she gets a cut, right, of, of kind of their business. So again, that, that call to action isn't always necessarily going to be able to, you know, pay for the several thousand dollar retreat like sometimes it's going to be you know it's 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 worth thinking about the fact that trauma survivors specifically we have this urge to to we often have this urge to help people who are going through what we went through to pay it forward i can't tell you how many survivors who are parents are just like that's their mission statement in life is to give their kids a different kind of life than the abuse and the neglect that, that they suffered so the fact that Teal disproportionately draws trauma survivors as an audience and then gives them this opportunity to do that what we really want to do anyway, which is help take care of other trauma survivors. And it's not cheap to get trained as a as a completion process provider, right? Mm-hmm. Again, like I'm not into uncharitable interpretations. Like, like I, I will never sit on this podcast and say, yeah, she's clearly doing it for the money. I don't know. I happen to think Teal is a trauma survivor. I, I mean, the truth is, we're we're way late in the podcast, so I can admit this. The truth is, I give Teal Swan all kinds of credit. I give her the benefits of, of of all sorts of doubts. I'm not thrilled about some of the language she uses, but no, I mean, I think that there's a discussion to be had about the good things that 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 she does out there. There's definitely a discussion to be had about the problematic things, but so I'm not. I'm never going to say that, man. She's just out here to charge a bunch of people a bunch of money to get certified in her thing and throw these retreats, et cetera, et cetera. I am going to say that, boy, if your business model includes that, like just even that possibility, ah, you got to pay attention. Like, like you got to ask the question. Like it's it's a it's, it it is a, it's at least a pink flag, right? Maybe not a red flag. It's a it's a pink flag. And again, it's it's not unique to Teal Swan. Like it's a very common thing in the whole of the self help industry. How many people go to an event or get coaching and then suddenly also want to be coaches? You know, there's there's something in this world that it just wants to suck more people into it. It's it's a bit of a machine that way. And yeah, we we just we see that happen a lot where people get diverted from wherever their life was going before they have these interactions and then suddenly they just want to be a part of it. And I think some of it goes back to that idea of having this like what feels like a break, quote unquote, breakthrough moment, you know, that there's just a high that you get from some of these experiences that is kind of addictive. You bet. You bet. I wonder what the process is for becoming a certified James Arthur Ray life coach. Can I do that? Can we'll seek pay <laughs> if if there's a process? If anyone knows the process, contact us at Seek Safe. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, Glenn, thank you. I very much appreciated your perspective as a I don't know, a trauma 
professional, <laughs> a professional trauma person, <laughs> professional T a PTP professional trauma person. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm heading up the, the, the trauma program at insight therapy solutions. It's the, it's the company that, that now does kind of the administrative part of my practice. That's actually, if anybody does want to get on the waiting list to work with me, they need to, to contact Insight Therapy Solutions. They're headquartered in Las Vegas, but they specialize in teletherapy all over the country. And we're developing a, a trauma program, and I'm getting to develop it, and, and it's a really fun, interesting, exciting opportunity. But one of the things that we're talking about is like, well, you know, it would be really interesting to develop a trauma certification process such that, you know, we, you and I were talking about this problem of like, how do you know if someone is trauma informed? Well, it'd be helpful to actually have training in that kind of thing, but we don't know what to call it. But Gene, I think you've solved that problem for us. We're professional <laughs> trauma people. Love it. There you go. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Glenn. Thank you very much. Jay Beans, Gene Brown. All right. Until next time. Bye-bye. Later, taters. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope that you have found it enlightening, and we'd be so, so grateful if you'd share it with the seekers in your life. We all know at least one, right? Until our next episode, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SeekSafely. Connect with Dr. Glenn Patrick Doyle at Dr. Doyle Says, and me, Jean, at Jean C. Brown on Twitter. Feel free to send us an email, info at SeekSafely.org. To support Seek Safely, you can make a secure donation on our website, seeksafely.org donate. The Seek Safely podcast is produced by Citizens of Sound.